everybody, and welcome to Best Seat on the Couch, the podcast that supports ogre marriage. My name is Alex. I'm Iris. I'm Marcus. And I'm Michael. And today, we are talking about the DreamWorks animated film Shrek 2. Directed by Andrew Adamson, Kelly Ashbury, and Conrad Vernon, the film premiered in May 2004 and is the second installment in the Shrek film series. The film picks up after the events of the first film, with Shrek and Fiona happily married and returning from their honeymoon. But after being called to visit Fiona's family in the kingdom of Far, Far Away, Shrek, Donkey, and Fiona are wrapped up in a plot to dissolve their marriage by Fiona's evil fairy godmother and her son, Prince Charming. Shrek and the gang must find a way to impress their in-laws while also avoiding bounty hunters before it is too late. The film was a commercial success, grossing $935 million on a $150 million budget, being DreamWorks' highest-grossing film to date, and was met with critical acclaim from both critics and audience members, with critics praising the humor, story, and new characters. Much like the first film, Shrek 2 also occupies a special place in internet memes and culture. And as always, there will be spoilers. Alright, so I think I have a confession to make. I think I have watched Shrek 2 much more, many more times, than I have watched the first Shrek film. Mm, Interesting. Yeah, I think I only realized this upon my rewatch today when I was watching this film for for the podcast. Because... I I remember pretty much every single plot beat and joke in this movie due to the fact that I must have watched it. I just remember watching it a lot of times. Um, and I think that I stand by the my statement that this film, I think, is better than Shrek 1. I think it really does a lot with um what kind of like expanding the shrek universe even further than the first film and also like it follows the natural progression of this story that we have the foundation for uh shrek and fiona's relationship and it explores it in like really fun and interesting ways and it does it with all the humor of one of those early, like, meet the family sort of uh, movies, those rom-com movies, where we have a lot of family drama, we get, like, the meeting of the in-laws, we have the couple arguing. Uh, but yeah, I really like it in how it, yeah, it's just, like, the natural progression for this film series. And, I don't know, I think the music slaps even more than the first film. We're going to talk about the uh, I Need a Hero scene, but even the other songs are still really good. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's all I have to say. I really do love this uh, this sequel. I think it's like one of the best sequels that have that's been made um, in, in film history just because of how true it remains to the source material and how it just elevates the first film even further with uh, what it brings to the table. Now, I do know 
that there's probably going to be some disagreement in this uh, this discussion. But I stand by the fact that I do think this is a shining example of how to do a sequel right. Well, Alex, you and I definitely agree that this movie is good. Where we disagree is that this movie is great. I think this movie is, I think this movie is just good. Like, it's not, it's not mediocre. Like, it's definitely, like, a good movie. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I don't agree that it's better than the first one by a long shot. And I, I, I just think it's, like, it's, like, a fun sequel, you know? Uh, I, I don't know that I need to say, like, it's the best movie ever. It's the worst movie ever. Uh, I'm probably pissing off everybody on both sides here uh, with this take. It's just a good movie and it's fun and that's all it needs to be. Uh, I also just like, like on a, on a, like just factual or I don't know if factual is the right word here, but just on a like interpretation of like what the story is about. I don't agree that it's necessarily about a, like, deep exploring of their relationship. I think it's more about exploring, like... It's really about Shrek. It's not about them as, like, a couple. Fiona's well, not I, I in, didn't like, say... I didn't say a deep... I did not say a deep exploration. I said it was the natural progression of the first film. I feel like I remember, I remember a comment about, like, this being a, a an in-depth, like, relationship-focused movie, which I don't think is the case. And if that's a straw man, I apologize. I'll, I'll play it back. Uh, uh, you'll, you'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do the do your do the sound effect here, and we'll we'll see who's right. It follows the natural progression of this story that we have the foundation for uh, Shrek and Fiona's relationship, and it explores it in like really fun and interesting ways. Although I will say that you are the one controlling the narrative here, so. You know, folks, if it sounds like he's been vindicated, I'd take that with a grain of salt. Literally hey, people people can go back people can go back and listen on their own, but it's still gonna be the same result. Ha. You know, uh when one person controls all the presses, democracy dies in darkness. Anyway. <laughs> I don't I mean I, I it was a fun movie. I lo- I know I've said that like six times, but <laughs> that's all the take I've got. Alright, well, I'm back on Alex's camp. I think this is better than the first one. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, okay, so uh, I don't know if I watched this more than the first Shrek. It's likely that I did, but I'm unsure. However, what is true was during my childhood, I kind of conflated these two movies together. I think I talked about this when we talked about Shrek 1, where I always thought that moments from Shrek 2 were in Shrek 1 and vice versa. And... um. I don't know why that happens. The brain damage has come back, as always. Um, <laughs> never left. But it never left, indeed. Uh, regardless, I do think that this film does something more than the first film. Um, it's going to take me this entire episode to figure out what it is. And I'm ready <laughs> to explore it. Just to go into some things very briefly. I think that this film, one, has a better villain and i think that this film also takes like more risks if that makes any sense in like different areas than the first film did um and i'll talk about it later and also i think that this film has genuine surprises in it that are very satisfying um I'll talk about those when it gets to my favorite scene. 
But like Alex, I think that the music in this film also kind of brings it up. Like the music in the first film is uh, very good in the sense that they use one, they use the pop songs very well, and then they use their own sort of, you know, custom built music for this for the film also very well and very emotional and stuff like that. I think that this film somehow is able to elevate the music in another level. And obviously we're going to, and Alex, as Alex said, we'll talk about the I Need a Hero scene later on. But there are actually more than just that moments throughout the film. And I do think that that's coupled with all the things I said previously is part of why I do think that this is better than the first. Because they kind of took the first one and they were like, keep doing it, keep going. And I do think that that, turned out to be a very good film yeah and uh to speak a tiny bit more on the music yeah you're right michael i think in this film every one of the songs that they choose for those emotional beats hits it hits like each one like a bullseye like the emotional feel of every song connects to the scenes like very well Iris, I'm sorry you have been uh, you've been voted out. <laughs> I mean, honestly, Damn. the only thing I regret is that I don't have like a more like a stronger stance to take on this than it was fine. And I guess I just the the deeper you know nuances of this that y'all are uh, espousing just didn't resonate with me. Apparently, don't worry, we'll change your mind by the end of this. <laughs> oh brother! So interestingly, I have never watched any analysis video. Of any piece of media we've touched upon on this podcast. Really? Until today. <laughs> for Shrek 2 of all movies, I decided to watch an analytical piece from a YouTuber. I don't even remember. Wait, like in preparation for for this? In preparation for this. Just so that I could get a sense of like... How have you mm. not poisoned the well of like your... your critique your 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 take on everything i mean to be completely honest some of my takes like in previous episodes have been kind of like all over the place and that's just because <laughs> they come from me and not from like somebody who actually knows how to like watch marcus is refining movies. his takes is what he's doing yeah. it's what not I'm, that they're what I'm not saying his is that, like in, in in a similar vein to michael what i'm saying is i knew i i I knew that this movie was better than the first one i wanted to kind of put like find a way to verbalize why and the video that i watched was actually very good and it touches upon something that you Alex mentioned about how like this is this is a good movie overall but it is a near perfect sequel to an already good movie which is you know not the same as saying it's a perfect movie in general but it does all the things that a sequel is kind of supposed to do and this video compared this video compared fucking shrek 2 to like empire strikes back and blade runner 2049 and like (laughs) dark knight and like like (laughs) these are movies that you know are are pantheon level you know uh pieces of cinema compared to fucking shrek 2 which i guess is also like i guess shrek is now also pantheon level cinema but like it goes into things like expanding the world building like i think Far, far away being modeled after Los Angeles of all places is is some of the most <laughs> ingenious world building that I've ever seen in an animated movie. The music is, as I think, as we've all kind of said, is it's it's so good. It's it's it doesn't deserve to be this good. Um, and the the look, the introspective look, because Trek overall, the first movie 
is entirely about you know Shrek and his his sense of self. You know, he in the first movie he doesn't have a problem being hated. In fact, he embraces the fact that he's hated, and then he goes through through this whole journey where he discovers like. I didn't actually like being hated. I hated, you know, I I hated like internalizing that, and now I have somebody. I have Donkey who I can be, you know, candid with, and I have Fiona who I actually feel like I have a connection with, and that's how the first movie kind of develops. In this movie, we get to see that developed even further. We get to see that same sense of identity, that theme, but now kind of in a more thorough, more kind of fleshed out light. Now you get to see, you know, Shrek, you know pitted against a literal prince charming and you have this sense of like you know even though he has won over fiona does he doesn't feel like he's worthy of fiona and that feeds into more of his kind of you know his uh his uh his issues with himself and his self-image i i I just think it's just it's like the first shrek was it didn't it, it wasn't expecting to be this good and yet it ended up being this good and it already took, and as you know, Michael said they took what already really succeeded with Shrek, and then they literally just made it better in almost every facet. And like, I don't understand how you can look at like Shrek and think that Shrek Two is not a better movie simply for the fact that Shrek Two came after. You know, it had the ability to take something already created and make it better. Like that's just what makes it better. I think like it is overall same formula, same jokes, same you know the same winning formula that it used the first time, and yet it's just even more enjoyable than the first one. I think listening to y'all has kind of helped me crystallize the the places that I think this movie lacks. Because again, I think it's a good movie. I like the movie. I don't want it to get twisted into like, I'm against this movie. I'm for this movie. I think the places for me where I feel like my experience is being pulled from, it's two main things. One, there is a criminal lack of Fiona Shrek like banter interaction in this movie like i think one of the strongest pieces of chemistry in the first movie was like them like joking around on their trip back from the the dragon's castle right they're just like uh learning that you know they don't have to just be like weird and awkward around each other like them becoming friends and i feel like the only real interaction we see between them is them fighting in this movie I don't think there's really much of them actually getting along at all because for half the movie they're not in the same place. They're 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 not even like interacting with one another. That's one thing where I feel like it kind of loses a step for me. The other thing is that I think thematically, right, we're asking the same question as the first movie. Both of these movies are exploring this idea of acceptance of the self, right? And like, can you learn to live with yourself as who you are? But I think retreading, it feels a little bit like the same ground is being retrodden as the first film. Even though like the, you know, the, the circumstances of what exactly is happening are different, right? Instead of like, can I learn to be happy with who I am? It's like, would I change myself uh, you know, fundamentally and deeply for love. And they're they're different on the surface, but I think at the core of them, they really kind of are the same question. And I think what that means is that this film loses a little bit of... Uh, it doesn't feel as, like, complete of an idea. It feels kind of like the, the conversation from Shrek 1 is sort of echoing in a way. And this film is less, you know, well-defined in the theme in that way. It's not as tight. Yeah. Uh, I do want to talk uh, about the first point that you made. Because, I mean, yeah, we don't see a lot of Shrek and Fiona in this film. 
But that's not the the point of this film. We've already seen that in the first Shrek movie. And like I said, this is like the natural progression of their relationship. Like, we already have the baseline. The natural the... progression of their relationship is to not talk to each other? Well, no, no, no. Like, the, the story. <laughs> I know, I know. I had to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, the story of these two getting together, being lovey-dovey, it's, it's been done before. And we have that whole montage of them basically reiterating like yes they're in love with each other yes they're happy in the first five minutes with the the honeymoon montage but i do think it's to this film's strength that they portray mo this like moment when they disagree with one another and they fight because i mean that's what happens in real life relationships uh, couples will even though they they can't be happy all the time. There will be agree- disagreements. There will be arguments. And I do think that the way this film portrayed the way that these two disagreed with this whole idea of like being who they are in front of Fiona's parents is a really relatable and true-to-life uh, thing that happens with couples in their relationships. And I think it's just so interesting that this film chose to follow that through line instead of just i mean if if they gave us the same thing from the first film the same banter the same showing that they're oh deeply in love with each other but they i mean then it would feel really samey to shrek one and i think this film distinguishes itself by doing this uh this choice by making this choice of having them fight having them disagree and be separated for a bit. I don't want them to do the same thing as Shrek 1. I don't want to have the exact same journey and experience. But what I meant by invoking, you know, the memory of, of Shrek 1 and the chemistry there is that, like, those interactions, right, that sort of this three-way thing, Shrek, Fiona, and Donkey, like, the way their characters played off of each other is so much of why that story works so well. And I feel like we're missing a huge component of that winning formula without anything to really replace it. You know, we get a lot of uh, Shrek and Donkey kind of grading against each other, right? They're both uh, playing these caricatures and there's no, there's nothing between them to like make that work. There's no like external thing to point their attentions away from each other. Like, I don't think Puss in Boots fills the gap that Fiona left by pulling her out of that thing. I'm not trying to say that I want them to do the same thing, but I would have loved to see like the three of them taking something on together, you know? It doesn't. It just. It just feels like there's a there's something missing there. I think that Puss in Boots fills the gap between Shrek and Donkey. I, I, I agree. <laughs> I, I agree too. I think they they made a choice to you know make the triangle now with Puss in Boots instead of Fiona, and I think it actually works very well. Yeah. Um, I'd like to also add something that you talked about when it came to the theme and how uh uh well you, you tight how tight you thought that the theme was and. While I do agree that both movies touch on this concept of self-worth and what it means to have self-worth and what it means to not feel like you are worthy, I think that the films actually talk about self-worth in two different ways, mainly in two different questions. I think that the first film is much more about does Shrek and Fiona, do they have self-worth? That's the question. 
And the second film, rather than talking about what do they think about themselves, it asks the question, what are they willing to do for each other? And how does self-worth tie into that question now that they're part of a relationship rather than falling in love, if that makes any sense? And I do think that those two questions are separate enough to touch on that, for me at least, the, the second film's theme stands on its own and is as well as uh and is also as tight as the first one i can see the point that there's a good amount of distinction there yeah and i do think that like the family uh dynamic between fiona and her father and shrek is what like distinguishes this film from from the other one and i think we're gonna talk about this because i definitely want to talk about this when we're talking about our favorite characters and moments um, but Michael, since you brought the uh, film, why don't you start us off with your favorite character and moment? All right. Uh, let's start off with a favorite character. My favorite character is the fairy godmother. <laughs> um, <laughs> so as I said before, I think that the fairy godmother is a better villain than Lord Farquaad. I think that Lord Farquaad <clears throat> is a caricature of a villain on purpose, right? That is very clear. That he is the Disney villain, but, like, caricatured. Almost literally. Um, and I think that in the first film, that plays to the first film's strengths. Um, he is very goofy. He is very uh, satirical. He's very maniacal. And yet, he also has this sense of, like, you know, this this threat that looms on both Shrek and Fiona. And uh, uh, <laughs> Lord Farquaad has this sort of, like, uh, Prince Humperdinck, Humperdinck energy from the <laughs> Princess Bride, where he's like, yes, he is like innately evil, and you can see that, but he also has these like very like interesting conversations with Fiona and Shrek in the first film. The Fairy Godmother is both, for me at least, genuinely terrifying and also brilliant because. The way that she is able to manipulate both Fiona's father, Fiona, and Shrek to sort of get what she wants is very, very impressive to me. Um, like, she is kind of this, you know, dark force in the background that is machinationsing everything together. And I think that the concept of a fairy godmother being that kind of villain was very inspired. Um so yeah, I think that she's my fairy godmother, also because she sings in that song at the end, which we'll talk about later. Which, I would talk about that being my favorite scene, but I also want to talk about another favorite scene of mine, so I'm not going to mention the first one. So someone else can talk about it, because I'm sure it's someone else's favorite scene. But, my actual favorite scene is a kind of a sequence of scenes, and it is near the end, almost at the midnight ball, where Fiona's father is talking to her daughter, and has been blackmailed by the fairy godmother to uh, love potion Fiona in her tea, right? And later on, we see that he actually did switch the cups, and he was the one that, or he didn't drink the tea, right? That was the whole thing. Yeah, he and just then, he just did not give it to her. Right. Honestly, I want that to have been a joke. I want him to have drank the tea, and then like. <laughs> You know, something stupid happens. That would be hilarious. Except, you um, know, like, Fairy Godmother is dead, so I guess they <laughs> right. can't undo the potion. Right. Also, um, like, can we mention that she fucking died? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. she, she yeah. fucking dies. <laughs> um, 
Anyway, so the, the thing I want to mention about this scene is that it is like a genuine twist done well, in my opinion. Because the way that they frame Fiona and her father when they're drinking the tea is such that if you are not paying attention very, very closely, you cannot tell that the teacup that he used to put the potion in is the one in which he put the potion in. Because in the previous scene, he's seen putting it in one of them, and it's on his left. And so when he brings it over, you can see that you have to intuit that it's still on his left, but then in the scene, he switches it, and then when Fiona comes and grabs it, he switches it again. It's genius. And <laughs> Michael's got honestly, like, like yarn between thumbtacks all over his wall. Like I, I did. Like, you know, obviously I knew the twist was happening and gonna happen. And I was paying attention to be like, was there a way for us to figure this out when I rewatched it a couple weeks ago? And I was like, holy shit, they actually did it. Where you could trace where the poison cup was and you could see that Fiona did not drink it. And I was like, oh, shit, that's so cool. But they frame it, of course, like the tr the classic Fiona drinks the wrong cup. So his fa her father has to switch it for her. And then she drinks it itself. And then the father doesn't drink it. It's like, it's so good. It's just so good. All right. Well, <laughs> uh, my favorite character, I should have actually decided between the two I'm between before I started talking. So why don't you go, Marcus? All right. Hey. My favorite character is Doris, the ugly stepsister, because she is voiced <laughs> by Larry King. <laughs> no, that's, that's a joke. Um, my favorite character is actually King Harold. King Harold is oh, fucking hilarious man. at every single every single... I mean, it's John Cleese, but every single time he yeah. appears on screen, yeah, it's also, fucking like, hilarious. John Cleese, Julie Andrews, what a fucking power Yeah, no, that's, that's ridiculous. Um... And I really enjoy the fact that he is telegraphed to be the Frog Prince very early on. Like, yeah. the way that the lily pads are in the back and, like, how he says, like, it was their first kiss when they were walking along the lily pond. It's kind of funny <laughs> that way. But I think that he had, he, I think that the the extra characters that they add to this movie, which are the King, the Queen, and Puss in Boots, all very, very, you know, good additions to the, to the, uh, to the Shrek mythos, I suppose. And uh, King Harold especially plays very well against a lot of the, the the different characters. You know, plays well against Fiona, plays well against uh, Fairy Godmother, uh, and plays well against Shrek. So, uh, my favorite scene. I don't know how it can't be like the dinner table scene where they have that very tense yes. argument. Like that's just oh. yeah, it's so that that <laughs> like that scene is has been experienced by everybody even though the theatrics are you know obviously weren't there in real life but everybody has has had a taste of the tension of that scene and i just think it's executed perfectly i, I the, the the jump cuts and the you know donkey's interjection which makes no sense all of that is just <laughs> it's prime humor so uh yeah that uh yeah it's just but a lot of good scenes to choose from in this movie for sure yeah, I mean, I was I was actually going to talk about that scene, uh, but I was also going to talk about the scene right before, which I think kind of they flow together. They're the same type of humor, uh, where Shrek and Fiona are walking 
you know, up that aisle towards the castle and the king and the queen are walking down and it's cutting back and forth between their conversations. And they're obviously talking about two slightly different things, but the way it, you know, cuts back and forth between their sentences oh, yeah. so that they complete each other's sentences. Oh, the writing for that like, is so good. That, yeah. I honestly think, like, that was... I, I, I will say the writing for that scene is probably the best between this movie and Shrek 1. I will grant it that. Like, I think one of the biggest, like, ways that this movie improved over the last one is that the comedic writing got a lot sharper and a lot, I mean, tighter. I don't want to use the same word twice, but that's really the best word I can think of here because it was really tight. It's very distinct. It's very precise. The the way that their lines are set up, the way that it cuts back and forth between them, like it's just towing the line between hilarious and oh shit, no, that's like like real. Uh, you know, the fact that neither group is like really saying what they think, but both of them together are saying what both of them think. Like it's masterfully done scene. So I think, yeah, a lot of that sort of sitcom-y type of humor, uh, really fantastically well done. Um as far as my favorite character, uh, since the king has been talked about, I will talk about Puss in Boots. Uh, I love the cat. Uh, I think the, what I was saying earlier about how I don't think he fills that gap that Princess Fiona left. I think he is so charismatic that his writing demands to be like he, he just demands that you look at him and only him. And not, you know, any of those other characters. I think he, uh, the the little, just every little flair and every little flourish is so much fun. And it's like, no, we don't even question how he just kind of like takes all of two minutes to go from I've been hired to kill you to I've inserted myself into your best friend squad and I would gladly die for you. <laughs> like, obviously the whole thing is just like a setup to, hey, here's Puss in Boots. He's going to be a lot of fun. But... In, in, a, in a less engaging character, we wouldn't buy it. I absolutely do. Or for Puss in Boots. Or even if I don't buy it, I don't care because he's so much fun to watch. I just think he's like, he's too much fun. He wants, <laughs> he, the way the character's written, he wants to be the star of his own movie. That's true. And, and y'all, yeah, y'all, I I hope we talk about the, uh, Puss the original the Puss in Boots movie, of the, course. <laughs> not the 2011 one, but the one that came out uh, recently, Puss in Boots The Last yes. Witch, because, my God, I watched it recently, and the references that they pull from Shrek 2 and, like, insert into this movie, I only realized, like, how much they reference Shrek 2 upon re- this rewatch. But maybe I'll bring it um, for my next next week one. Um. Oh man, all my favorite characters were taken, and so all my favorite scenes. So I guess I will go with my favorite character being the queen, uh, just because I love how supportive she is of um, Fiona's relationship and uh, Shrek at like the very beginning. It's the the dynamic that she has with um, the king, uh, where he's like so against um, Shrek and Fiona being together, and she's like, "Well, uh, I mean." you want what's best for her like why don't we just give it a chance and uh see see i mean it's like fiona's decision we should respect her decision and yeah just the banter between those two characters um it it makes it it's hilarious for one but it also makes it like so realistic with the dynamics of this wild wacky family and yeah, the dinner scene is amazing. With I think like my favorite joke in that scene is Shrek drinking like the the hand water and thinking it's soup. 
that one got that one killed me as a kid. Um, but yeah, I, I love the queen uh, just because of how she's just a mom to everyone, even Shrek. As for favorite scene. Do you want to talk about I Need a Hero? Yeah, yeah I guess I'll talk about it. And then we can go directly into talking a little bit more about the music and just talking yeah. about the scene. But yeah, my God. I remember when I watched this for the first time, I had no idea that this song was like already a pre-established <laughs> song, both yeah. as like just the song in general and also in Footloose. Um, but yeah, I remember being blown away by kids like, what is this music? What is she singing right now? Yeah, the entire construction of that scene, the build-up, the, because we've had the stakes already established uh, in that entire scene. We have two things happening at the same time, which is one, Fiona drank, drank quote-unquote, the love potion and will fall in love with the next person she kisses. And two, the time for Shrek and Fiona's, um, whatever the potion is called, happily ever after. The happily ever after potion, yeah. Yeah is going to run out by the stroke of midnight. Uh, and so all of these things are, like, stacked on top of one another, like Harold's supposed deception, Fiona's unknowingness, and the uh, charming and the fairy godmother's plot. It all comes together in this, like, really tense moment. And, and I f- poor Mongo! <laughs> yeah, I know. And it it the music of I Need a Hero just, like, breaks that tension perfectly. I don't understand how the song fits so well or like the as well as it does but yeah the whole scene with mongo um sacrificing his life (laughs) for for a greater cause he lived five minutes and he fulfilled his purpose and that's all he needed now he's going to slowly dissolve away in the bottom of the moat but we don't talk about that um but yeah and also like puss in boots is uh final his like i will repay my debt moment god that one was also like so well done but yeah i i think it's just almost like the perfect scene the perfect ending for this movie just to end on this wild high energy musical number that fits the high intensity scene that we've been waiting for for the entire second half of the movie can we also just, like, mention how creepy it is that the fairy godmother, like, dons a racy red sparkly dress and starts singing, like, a power ballad at her own son's wedding? Just want to put that <laughs> out there. Um, I want to also, if do you want to move on to the talking about music stuff? Yeah, go um, ahead. They obviously did it, uh, when did they do this? In the first film. Um, there are a few moments, actually, actually, the first, okay, you know what? Never mind. My point is clear. Um, <laughs> in the first film, they used music in the sense that it is... Uh, it's not just commenting on the situation. Because that's the easy part. It is talking about characters and also what they're feeling as complimented by the situation. And there are some moments, uh, specifically with Donkey, that you can see that the music is diegetic. It's in the film, right? I think that one of the things that Shrek 2 does to elevate the its film against the first one is they took the choice of making I Need a Hero diegetically in the film. Like, they could obviously have it so that the godmother is not singing the song and they're playing the song because 
it's how Shrek is feeling. It's how Fiona is feeling. It's how the situation they arrives at. And it's like a non-obvious song to go with, I think. But they chose the fairy godmother of all people to sing this film almost as a kind of like dramatic irony that is so powerful. And they are uh, also, because it's a cover, because they're the, the, the fairy godmother, who's I don't think her actual voice actress is actually singing this, I, I think, um, uh, is singing it. It's a cover. And so they're actually able to add in layers of other themes like the Shrek theme and the Fiona theme into the song. Yeah. Plus and one. and they're when they take they can they're able to take breaks for instrumental sections. Like there's a whole violin part, violin section that happens sort of midway through when Shrek is talking with Puss in Boots that feels like it's an orchestral soundtrack, but it is the song I Need a Hero. Um so I think that just in general, that final scene is elevated by having that song diegetically in and mixing it with the actual themes of Shrek and Fiona. And the way that they did it was just masterfully executed. Um, that being said, I also think that a bunch of the other soundtracks in the song, in the movie, sorry, um, are also fantastic. Like, obviously, we talk about, like, you know, like, Living La Vida Loca at the very end. It's like, oh, it? <laughs> yeah. Because it's, you know, it's basically the same as... um. Uh, I'm a believer, right? That's the that's the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, what always gets me is when they are, uh, when oh yeah, that's right. After Shrek has taken the happily ever after potion and he's a human now, yeah, they play changes. Yes, and one, it is a cover of changes. It's not the normal changes song, and somehow it works, and it. Again, like the way that they're able to find these songs and actually comment on the situation going on, it's so ironic what they're talking about in changes. It's it's so good. I think the music in this one is is great. Yeah, yeah. I what? mean, going back to the first one, the first movie, right? The music, their choice of the pop songs to do. I'm a believer. I mean, Hallelujah, like the classic, yeah. right? Um, it's always been fantastic. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to think of the name of the song when that plays when Shrek is like reading Fiona's diary or he's like set lying awake at night. I can't think of it right now, but that one's also Is it called real... Which one? Is it called Is it called Ever Fallen in Love? Is that the one? That sounds that sounds about right. Well, uh I'll double check and I'll edit it in post. Okay. Yeah, yeah, please. <laughs> yeah, but they really do manage to nail like all the the different um yeah different beats and emotional story beats of this entire film um but speaking of the fairy godmother and uh well her whole deal i think why don't we take a little bit more time to talk about her specifically and also prince charming because we haven't really talked about prince charming as a whole he he's kind of like a supporting character in this movie i granted he does take a little bit more of a lead role in the third movie. I don't know if anyone's watched the oh, third Shrek yeah. movie. I've never yeah. seen that. Yeah. Spoiler, he dies in honestly, the third movie, but... <laughs> oh, spoiler! I, I had kind of, like, conflated some scenes for the third movie because I thought, you know, again, spoiler, the king died in this one. Uh, <laughs> what? Like, oh, wait, no, I know that one. Yeah, yeah the yes. whole thing, you know, live and let die. I thought this yeah. was I thought that was this movie. I was, like, waiting for it and it never came. I'm like, oh, what <laughs> Yeah, but um, yeah. What are your thoughts about um the fairy godmother and Prince Charming? I do really like their 
their dynamic between each other. Just the sort of, uh, I guess, it, would you say Fairy Godmother is like a Karen-esque person? <laughs> I Fairy we- Godmother is if uh, Karen became the Godfather. Oh my god, the fairy godfather! That's fairy, li- fairy oh, godfather. shit. I've cracked this wide open, right? Yeah, but I love that. I love her potion brewing sort of uh, industrial She's got a warehouse drugs operation. She takes like you know the the local politicians into her private limousine with her big burly bodyguards and I yeah. to intimidate them. Right? Like she doesn't give her workers dental. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, and the. The, like, coddling she does for Prince Charming. Um, he's like, Mommy, I-, I need you to brush the back of my hair or whatever. Um, but yeah, you come then- to me on the day of my son's wedding. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he, uh, I mean, I think, yeah, their entire, I mean, because they're like the, they're almost like a bad mirror of Fiona and her, fa- her parents' relationship. Um, like, almost the ends of the extreme where, the king cares so much about Fiona, he's going to control everything about his life, where, as the fairy godmother does exactly that, she's like, I'm going to set you up for everything, Prince Charm. You don't need to worry about that. You don't need to even yell at the king. I'll do I'll do the yelling for you. But yeah, um, yeah, I love I love that they're they're able to have that sort of dynamic in front of the dynamic we have for Fiona and um, the king. Yeah, I think, so I've already spoken on why I like the Fairy Godmother so much. And as you said, I think that Fairy Godmother's uh, interactions with Prince Charming are both hilarious and also very poignant to this film. Um, uh, They almost, okay, so if I may, um, a lot of the comedy of the first film, I think, was between Shrek and Donkey, right? Um, I think that a lot of comedy in this film actually comes from Fairy Godmother and Prince Charming. Um specifically with their interactions with each other, as Alex just said, the sort of like overly doting mother on her son. Um, But I think it's elevated in the fact that Iris, you're completely right. And I actually can't believe I didn't think about this. I think that they actually, they, they might've actually had that mafioso. uh, Yeah. No, uh, like imagery in their head. The more I think about it, the more explicit it feels. Yeah. Yeah. She's the Don. Um, (laughs) Anyway, um, I, I, I think that it's very, uh, it's very well done, and it is very. Um, how should I say this? Like, okay, let me talk about this. Another scene that is very, very good for me was when Shrek, after drinking the happily ever after potion, finally returns to far, far away, trying to look for Fiona. He finds the fairy godmother instead, and looking through the window, they see that Fiona is looking at Prince Charming, and Prince Charming is now Shrek. Right, this whole deception going on with Prince Charming being Shrek or pretending to be Shrek, and then Fiona like kind of figuring it out on her own. Because obviously, why not? Why wouldn't you? Um, but this moment where again, it's like it's it's like the fair like Fairy Godmother is so good at her politicking. Like she is able to manipulate these pieces on the chessboard so well that she comes off as so menacing, and yet when during that scene where she's like. You want Fiona to be happy, right? This is her this this is how she could be happy. She can think that you're you're Prince Charming, she gets her Prince Charming, and Prince Charming is happy himself too. Um it's one of those things where it's like the manipulation going on uh of the fairy godmother onto Shrek is like so sinister that you almost believe it, and Shrek does almost believe it at that moment. Um 
So yeah, I think that the, that's more reasons why I think the Fairy Godmother is a very good villain. So one of the things that particularly works for Fairy Godmother for me, this movie tries a lot. It, it's got this literary device of analogizing the fairy tale elements with like modern day, uh, you know, society, culture, specifically Hollywood, right? Like Far, Far Away is Hollywood. It's even got the freaking sign on the hill. It's got the red carpet. It's got the paparazzi. It's got, you know, all the different people showing up and uh, the gossip and... Uh, you know, the freaking fairy godmother on a billboard, you know, like it, it, I think a lot of the time that sort of commentary fell flat for me. Um, it, honestly, it kind of, it, it graded on me in a few moments. I do think that in fairy godmother, it works very well because all of what she does feels like it is equally valid viewed through a, you know, kind of mafioso lens or like a fairy tale lens. Because consider this, evil fairy godmother is not all that different from the wicked witch who asks of the person, hey, I'll make you into a prince, you're a frog, I'll make you into a prince and a king, but you have to give me your firstborn child. Which is essentially what's happening here, right? Classic fairy tale bullshit. It's the same as like she's she's running like she's making potions, you know, uh, fairy godmother stuff. That but all hey, no, it's actually a, well, yeah. and, well, it's all a metaphor for, or like not a metaphor, but it's all like analogized to like a drug sweatshop, you know. Uh, it, how she's got this whole thing where she's like picking up the po- local politicians, as I was saying, picking up the politicians, driving them around in her, you know, private limousine with the big bodyguards to uh, pressure them. But it's also, hey, if she makes everyone's wish come true happily, then she knows everyone's dirty laundry and she can apply whatever pressure she wants. Like it works very well from both perspectives. I don't think they hit that mark all the times that they tried. They definitely hit it with the fairy godmother. I think the the last point I'll make about the fairy godmother is that um, somebody had mentioned a little bit about like the the doting mother trope and how uh, I think a lot of you know a lot of this movie is centered around the relationship between you know the parents and the children. Obviously, you have a number of different uh, relationships there, but uh, the fairy godmother not only treats Prince Charming as like you know not like a stupid kid but like a kid that needs to get you know get straightened out and like do what I say because I know what's best for you and shit but like I think that manipulation scene with Shrek very kind of like almost pushes her motherly kind of influence in such a way that like makes it feel like uh you know she is you know like in the same way pulling the strings as Prince Charming is like Shrek, this is what's best for everybody. You got to do it this way because, you know, I know best. I've seen it all. I am the, the matriarch here. So I think it's it's a really cool dynamic that they decided to, you know, I think them deciding to add King Harold and Queen uh, Lillian, I think it is, um, into the story allowed them to kind of then pull more familial ties to other different characters and pull it that way as well. Like get more of that parental action in, which I think was, as you guys said, really well done. Yeah. And it's all going back to these villains playing on the core themes of the show or not the show, the movie where, yeah, they're playing on the doubts of Shrek, uh, of how he's not worth, uh, worth it uh, to Fiona. He's not the man that he should be in front of her, someone that his her parents would accept. But yeah, it's just, it's very 
very concisely constructed. This like there's a beginning, clear beginning, middle, and end to Shrek's uh, and Fiona's arc in this movie, and the villains just play off those pieces masterfully. Masterfully. All right. Well, I think Michael, you have uh, a little something to end this program about uh all michael said at the beginning of this recording was that i need to talk about something specifically (laughs) about the the dvd of shrek 2 so michael can you please take us away absolutely so oh god um has anyone here viewed this film on dvd when it came out maybe alex possibly me okay uh, this is not a trivia corner, by the way. I would have made, I would have turned this into a trivia corner because I think it's hilarious. Um, but I, I, uh, I didn't have time. I'm just going to talk about my memories of this. And is also this going to be another brain damage thing? Like, are we going to fact no, check no, 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 you? No. It's not brain damage. You can fact okay. check me on this because there's there's record. This is not lost <laughs> media. Um, okay, so we've we've. It's not brain damage. It's not Pick Boy. <laughs> we're it's new ground we're trotting here. It is new ground. Hey, Pick Boy is real. Correct. Don't Pick disrespect his name. It's been vindicated. It's been vindicated. Um, so, what I wanted to talk about was um, on the DVD for Shrek 2, when it came out on DVD, there was a bonus feature. Because obviously, you know, DVDs in the time, tons of bonus features behind the scenes and deleted scenes and stuff like that. This bonus feature was called Far, Far Away Idol. As in a play on American, American Idol, Idol, in which I, Shrek, Fiona, and Simon Cowell no. would judge the other fantasy characters in Far, Far Away. No. They judge their singing. Okay? No. You know what? I do have vague recollection. Oh, this no. is tickling a memory. <laughs> yeah. I, so, I remember specifically the shittily animated Simon Cowell because that yeah, was like <laughs> yeah, Hollywood no. was a mistake. So this was in American Idol fever. This was at the height of this fever, right? And so they gotta do it. Literally, I gotta talk about this opening scene, right? It's like a it's like a 15 minute long bonus feature. In the first two minutes, Fiona and Trekker and everyone else at the end, because they're they were seeing Livia DeLoca, they're like, you know bringing down the stage and they're just chilling and then Shrek and Fiona was like oh hey Simon <laughs> he just like what? walks on stage and they're like alright it's time to do far far away idol um, so I just need to talk about this because I just need to get this off my chest um, it was a DVD feature there were nine contestants each of them sang a song I don't know exactly which ones but a lot of them were very uh, punny if that makes any sense so the 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 wolf from Little Red Riding Hood would, would sing "Hungry Like the Wolf" from Duran Duran. Um, <laughs> all, the three blind mice would all sing "I Can See Clearly Now" by <laughs> Nash. Uh, and this is where Puss in Boots, these boots were made for for walking, came from. By no. the way, he oh. sings that, and Simon Cowell is like, "Oh, I like Puss in Boots," because um, he comments on every single one of the performances. And it's a DVD feature, so you as the viewer could choose your far, far away <laughs> idol. There were nine options, I believe. Um, Shrek and Fiona also did a very lovely number. Um, it's What I Like About You, and that's a very fun duet. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, 
the thing that I want to talk about is that this is on Netflix right now, Far, Far Away Idol, (laughs) but it is not interactive. Rather, it defaults, quote-unquote, to the choice that was chosen by the community after they posted an internet link where you could actually vote on who won in the competition. Oh, man, Michael, do I'm not... I'm sorry, what in the actual fuck are you saying? When, when did they post this? This, yeah. this was in 2004. They posted uh, Michael, the poll you in have 2004? To, yes. You have to let us guess who's the most popular. All right, yes, let me get the cast. So, yeah. there was uh, Shrek and Fiona, Donkey, Puss in Boots. Well, that's three so far. There was the uh, Doris, the ugly stepsister. There was Larry Pino- King. Yeah, there did was. They, Pin- they did not get Larry King himself to sing a song for. He sang something. <laughs> far, far away idol. I refuse to believe it. There was Pinocchio and the Three Pigs. There was the Gingerbread Man. There was Wolf. There was Prince Charming, and there was the three blind. No, sorry, Prince Charming and the three blind mice were together. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, no, sorry, different acts. Sorry, three, Prince Charming and then three blind mice. Those are your choices. Who do you think won the competition? I, I guarantee that Prince Charming was probably the lowest one. But absolutely, I think that, that was the case. I'm gonna go off on a limb of the fact that Puss in Boots has so many spinoffs of it, and because it's so popular, I'm gonna say Puss in Boots. Interesting. All right, Iris. Maybe this did turn into a trivia corner after. <laughs> yeah. I I think Puss in Boots is probably where the smart money is, but I'm gonna go out on my own limb and say Pinocchio. Mm. I was thinking of like a dark horse. Like, is this a character that people like hella love in the Shrek mythos or whatever? And Pinocchio is definitely one of them. Um, the pigs are also pretty good. Who? Uh, uh, our Gingerbread Man was also pretty good too. Hmm. That was fun. I think he's saying. What did he say? Sugar, sugar, maybe. I that, think. Yes, that would make makes sense. sense. Yeah, I I agree <laughs> yeah. with Iris. I think the smart money is with Puss in Boots, but I will say Gingerbread Man because personally, Gingerbread Man has my favorite singing voice. If that even is a thing that you pay attention to, <laughs> Carl from I Jimmy wanna... Neutron singing voice. <laughs> I, it, it's all coming back to me. Uh, Prince Charming saying, "I am too sexy." <laughs> oh, oh my gross. god. <laughs> Uh, Pinocchio, I believe, saying Mr. Robot. Domo Arigato. Oh. Um, <laughs> so, uh, we have a... Uh, sorry, can we go through again? Uh, Puss in Boots for boots. me. Yeah, Iris, what did you say? I said Pinocchio. And Marcus, and what did you say? Gingerbread Man. Alright, you are all incorrect. Oh, no. It was Doris, the ugly stepsister. Who Whoa. won? What no. was the song? The song... I can't remember. It's not on. I, if I could, I could play the video for y'all, uh, but I won't. <laughs> we um, might get taken uh, down. No, I've, I've got it. Through. It was. It was. Girls just want to have fun. Uh, yep. Cindy Lauper. <laughs> and yep. does Larry King sing that? Yes, absolutely. Oh. I quit. No. I. I need to point out also that in many of the cases. So if I believe if you voted for. Um, Doris, Prince Charming, uh, the bad, big bad wolf, Pinocchio, and three blind mice. Um, 
instead of saying, uh, and the winner was this person, uh, Simon Cowell would get up and say, and the winner was, no, this is stupid. Stand up on the table, the judge table, and start singing uh, My Way by Frank Sinatra. (laughs) (laughs) Simon Cowell sings that? What? It's it's definitely not Simon Cowell singing it, I think, but it's it's his character. (laughs) I... This is enlightening. Yeah, so this is why I needed to talk about this, because I needed to get this out of my brain, because it's been taking up space for the and past into, 16 years. And into our brains, so now yes. we can all share the, the collective trauma. I, yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, uh, okay, I, I need on. to I, share got, what's happened. I've got some enlightenment here. In the credits on IMDb, everyone like is listed as credited for voice only. So, you know, like... Uh, Antonio Banderas, Puss in Boots voice. Cameron Diaz, Princess Fiona voice. And critically, Larry King, ugly stepsister voice. So, so I think did. they all had, like, there's different people credited as singing voices mm-hmm. than yeah. the normal actors. I was about that to say, there, there's probably not enough money in the universe to pay Larry King to sing <laughs> in an animated movie, <laughs> no less. He only sings for like five seconds, it's not very long. Oh, it could man. definitely not have just well, been credit. Anyway, anyway, I did, yeah. So that is my sharing of today. Tiny, excuse me, tiny little mini trivia corner, I guess. But um, yeah, thank you for uh, I, I welcome you into my trauma. No, th- thank you, <laughs> thank Michael, you. for dealing this, us all psychic damage. This is why you have brain damage. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Well, on that wonderfully strange note, I think. We'll call it here. So that'll do it for us, folks. Thank you so much for listening. This week's video that you can watch online. Funnily enough, I did not recommend this for the first Shrek uh, episode. So I'm going to recommend it now. And that is, of course, Shrek is love. Shrek is life. Oh, God. No, don't watch that. (laughs) (laughs) Heavy, heavy NSFW warning for any of our listeners who may not be well versed in Internet minutia it it is an experience heavy heavy nsfw like do not listen without headphones on and even then maybe (laughs) don't listen with headphones on either i I would suggest do not listen that's the end (laughs) uh and next week is chicken little so please email us at bestseatpodcast at gmail.com if you have a show suggestion or just want to tell us about your own favorite moments and characters Thank you to Ben from The Real Beast Podcast for our intro and outro theme. And once again, thank you so much for listening. And you will hear from us next week. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.